Well, we're looking at the political year that was. Joining me on the line is Dr. Ongamam Dimga, political analyst and a politics lecturer at the Nelson Mandela University. Dr. Mdimga, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Good morning to you, Cathy, and your listeners. Thank you for having me. Sure. Asanda Nwasheng is a diversity expert, academic, and also political analyst. Asanda, good morning to you. Thanks for your time, too. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Perhaps a, a good place to kick off would be, how would you describe the political year we have had? Dr. Mdimga, let me kick it off with you. Uh Interesting. I think for me, um, I would sum it as the year of a deepening crisis, but the kind of crisis that bears with it seeds for an interesting uh, change in the political landscape of the country come 2024. Deepening crisis in the sense that we have seen the how 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 the economic uh, crisis that has been also spurred on by failures in, in 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 government of the governing party has made things worse in terms of load shedding. I mean, being the major issue and the seemingly intractable manner of the energy insecurity crisis in South Africa, and then also uh, seeds of hope in the sense that. We are, we've begun to see effective mobilization uh, by new kids on, on the block and also uh, uh, those, whether they are 10-year-old parties or less than 10-year-old, that are really making good headways uh, in, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, you know, making sure that South Africans have got alternatives. And then lastly, I think that the electoral reforms uh, that were crystallized uh, present, uh, uh, you know, the enablers. If the parties themselves are the seats, then the electoral reforms are the midwives that are going to give birth to uh, this new political system in South Africa. So it's depressing and exciting times at the same time. Interesting, um, your choice of description there, Dr. Mtimka. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what 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 this morning has in store, just on on the issue of of electoral reforms, as as the judgment is due at the Constitutional Court um, later on this morning. Asanda, how would you describe the the political year that we've been through? Interesting year, um, and I think that you know this year more than any other year has seen many shifts both at a global and um, at a local level. I think what's most interesting for me is the fact that we're seeing at a global level a, a shift post-COVID where all countries across the world are experiencing the global economic crisis, which has led to people asking questions about capitalism and its usefulness as a, as, as a, as a construct for humanity going forward, which is a very important uh, question to ask. And I think people are asking the same question when it comes to, um, you know, the consumption patterns of capitalism. If you look at the the movement and the push that's been going on around issues of climate change, around actually acknowledging that the people who are causing the most damage when it comes to the climate are the West, while the people who are experiencing the worst of the damage are in the South. So if you look at what's coming out of COP, uh, of the latest COP, for, for example, we're seeing 
real-life commitments, financial commitments to actually funding the people who are experiencing the worst of the climate crisis caused by consumption in the West. And then I think at a local level, what's been really interesting for me to see is that it seems for the first time since the apartheid era, the business sector of South Africa has finally realized that there is no business prosperity if there is no South African economy, if there is no equality, and if there is no support from business of government and the South African project. And so it's been interesting to me to see the efforts that business is making to finally work together with um, with the government. And of course, it also raises questions around state capture, because we know from the state culture that we're coming from, that business was at the forefront of that. Your Bain Capital, your KPMG, and many other companies seem to be leading, you know, in the corruption of uh, of politicians to get us to this state of state capture. But it's been interesting to see how the language of business has changed to recognize that the problems of South Africa are not just the problems of the political system and are problems that business themselves need to actually get their hands dirty and help um, with, um, you know, with solving. And so that has been interesting to see. And then, of course, as Ongama mentioned, it's also been interesting to see the shift from believing that political parties are going to be the answer to all of our problems to people believing that perhaps we need to relook the electoral system and we need to give individuals a chance. And also we've seen the shift uh, going from, you know, these big all-consuming political parties like the African National Congress and the DA because a lot of people focus on the fact that they, the, the African National Congress has lost, um, has, lost, has lost the percentage of support, but the DA itself has also lost the percentage of support. So people are actually just pushing against the incumbent and we've seen with the coalitions, which have in some cases been very successful, but in most cases, sadly, have been disastrous. But it, it does give us something that it does give us the belief that there can be a different way of doing politics and that we can try out different structures of politics, whether you're talking multi-party coalitions or we're talking individuals instead of parties. So it's been a very interesting year uh, of change. And I think 2024 is going to consolidate all of these changes that we're seeing at a global and a local level, especially when you consider, of course, all the conflicts that are going on and the fact that for the first time as a, as a world, we're talking about the impact of colonization and its best friend, capitalism, on countries like the DRC, Sudan, um, and even the Israel and Palestine war. This this issue of, of change is, is a recurring one, especially given the fact that we're heading for an election. Um, many people are frustrated with the state of affairs and many are calling for change. But given the fact that when we look at our political landscape more broadly, we don't seem to have an organization, and dare I say even individual, an individual or individuals that have been able to mobilize at least the mass of society around one idea that people can believe in, that people can vote for going into this election. This idea of change, Ongama, is it something that will be realized um, because uh, our political system is very fractured right now. Um, and, and one gets a sense that you have a lot of players, which we do. I think the number of political parties sitting at 600, this is even before we bring in an independent candidates. Um, so, so the fragmentation is only increasing. But I don't know to what extent then that means that you will ha- 
you would well have a majority that will be able to bring about change, whatever that means. Sure. I, I, I am a, I, I, I do like a systems uh, approach to analyzing society. So I like the word that you used, fragmentation. So I conceptualized this, uh, a, a, the, a similar word, dynamic fragmentation, to characterize what's happening in South Africa. And I think that it's manifesting in, on, on two levels. The first one is what Asanda was saying, where um, the idea of party dominance is declining. Uh, secondly, the major opposition, uh, say for the EFF, is are also facing a decline. So that then also, uh, if you couple it with what's happening at the lower end of the political spectrum, you'll find that particular small parties are exiting and are going to battle returning back to uh, 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 parliament, while at the same time, a, 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 a number of new small parties are coming into the system. So what that gives you in terms of an answer to your question about whether anyone is going to be able to secure a majority behind a particular vision is that there isn't going to be a a, a, any party or any individual that's able to get majority support in South Africa. Uh, that's partly because uh, the, 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 the proportional representation system by design delivers multi-party uh, uh, results. And indeed, even as we go to a, a reformed electoral system, it's going to retain the essence of proportional representation, much to many people's uh, frustration, but I think it's a good thing in my view, because um, you, you see, if we had a first-past-the-post system in general, what the ANC is complaining about, where it, it has got more wards than uh, the, the, the other parties, but it doesn't win a municipality outright, would be a reality at a national level if we didn't have a, a proportional representation system. A proportional representation system allows us to base who gets to govern on the basis of who has the most votes, not on the basis of who has got the most constituencies, which is a, a, an issue in the US where you can, it may not necessarily be true that the person who's got the most votes is the one who's got the most constituencies, if you know what I mean. So, so I think that we are, let, let us be patient as a country in going through a, 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 a voter dictated period of ambiguity. Uh, I think that political parties may help that process to crystallize into either a two-party state come 2029 or 2034, or a, 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 a permanent uh, multi-party democracy with coalitions that govern all the time. Wait, Asanda, has been placed on hold. I, 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 want to, I want to come back to you. And is, is, I'm not sure. Asanda, are you still on the line? Please wait. Your call. All right. Looks like we're having a, an issue connecting there to Asanda Nwashing. We'll have to try and 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 reconnect with her. You, of course, they have been hearing the voice of Dr. Ongamam Dimka. How would you describe the political year that we have had? Um, it's part of the contribution that I'll take from you on zero eight six triple zero. 
0614-104-2032. What gives you hope about where we are as a, a country going into next year's election politically? What do you think? Um, you know, is likely to happen? How do you think uh, things will unfold? I'll take some of your calls again on 086-000-2032. For now, though, let me head over to the news desk for the 10.30 news headlines. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're looking at the uh, political year that was Dr. Ngamam Dimka on the line, as well as Asanda Nwasheng. Asanda, we lost you a bit on the line there, but um, I was asking the question around, you know, this talk of change that is taking place in South Africa. Is it just something convenient to say, or do we expect that voters will actually follow through on this call for change? Well, I mean, I think it, it depends on how you think about the change. And so, you know, Mama spoke about, uh, I think, dynamic, um, dynamic something. My brain has just forgotten it now, which is a very... Dynamic fragmentation. Dyma- yes, dynamic fragmentation. And I think, you know, for, for, for me, I see it, I see it as, a, as, a, as a thriving diversity. So we are a very, very diverse country. And sometimes you forget just how diverse we are. Twelve, um, you know, languages many, many, many cultures and ways of being even within those 12 languages themselves. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we start seeing 500 names, uh, 500 names, political party and individuals on the ballot paper because we that is a representation of the multiplicity and the diversity of South Africa. And I think, you know, one of the things that's been interesting, and this is why I started by saying, it depends on how you think about the change. And so often in South Africa, when we talk about change, we want to see, so like the ANC is the incumbent, we want to see people moving away from the ANC or moving away from the DA, etc. And we don't necessarily think about the the various shifts that could happen that still lead us to an ANC, uh, an ANC win, for example. And so I, I want to just talk a little bit about that. So one of the things that we're seeing more and more of is that the, as the DA moves more to the right and joins political parties like um, like the Freedom Front Plus, who are who are political parties that are seen as conservatives, that are seen as aligning to racism and, and upholding white interests, and they join further black political parties who are seen as conservative and even tribalist, which are like the IFP and the ACDP, which is seen as a Christian fundamentalist party. Then what we are seeing is that people are moving away from that and more to the left. And what I'm seeing is that we have potential in 2024 for the EFF, for all its sins, to potentially become the number two opposition, political opposition party post-2024. Now, this is where it's important that we don't just have a short-term look at politics. We have to look at politics from a very longitudinal view. And what does this longitudinal view say? This longitudinal view says... From the day that the political party known as COPE started in South Africa, that set us on a path where black black opposition was a reality. And this black opposition has been steadily growing, whether you look at COPE, whether you look at EFF, whether you look at you know the various political parties that are coming up. And what, what I'm hearing on the ground when I'm speaking to people, for example, is that the, what they feel is the outright racism of the DA 
and the outright leaning more towards the, the, the right is that it's actually moving them closer to the ANC, very interestingly. I've heard people say that they feel like the, the, the DA has the potential to bring back apartheid, literally using those very words. And so what we're seeing is people moving away from this, uh, from this politics that is just about we want service delivery or we want the cleanest audit to a politics that says what is the ideology behind the political party that is delivering these services? What is the ideology behind the political party that is delivering these clean audits? And so this is a maturing of democracy in South Africa where people want you to look at the policy, to look at the ideology, and to look at the, at the, at the delivery track record. And so when it comes to ideology, there are more and more black people moving towards the EFF, which may see the EFF become the number one opposition uh, despite all of that, that, you know, that the DA wishes that it wouldn't. And I think that's why the DA, for example, has made the EFF their literal number one enemy, which has been declared many times. But also what we're seeing is that South Africans are saying they do not want racists, they do not want patriarchs, they do not want Christian fundamentalists, and they do not want tribalists. And so these are people who hold views that have the potential to keep us apart rather than holding views that have the potential to bring us together. And this is where the ANC keeps winning because it's a very centrist party and it's a political party that speaks the language of diversity more than most of the political parties of South Africa. And so there's a sense in which people feel like they have to balance the corruption of the ANC and the failed promises and service delivery of the past 30 years with what ideology are we going to need to take South Africa to the second phase of our democracy, which is what is needed in the post, you know, 30 years after apartheid ended. Of course, you know, in the same breath, Asanda, when one looks at um, the, the various polls that have been published so far around what the electoral outcomes for 2024 might be, it's very clear that even with a science that is being applied in, in, in a lot of these surveys and research, um, it seems to me that voter behavior is becoming more and more difficult to predict in this country. And so while you know people might say things, how they behave on voting day could be very different. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's exactly that's exactly the issue. That's why I'm saying we. It, it's a very interesting time for me as a political scientist because this election. You know, people talk about 20, uh, 2024 being at 1994, and in some ways it's true. But I think that in some ways it may surprise people where this 1994 concept ended because one of the key factors of 1994 was that it was unpredictable and we didn't know where the chips were going to land and i think that's where we are and the chips may very well land in a in, a, in an anc majority even though it would be a smaller majority than the anc is used to get or the chips may very well land in the anc becoming the biggest opposition party and, and, and South Africa having to be led by a multi-party state. And so it's, it's very interesting to see, it's going to be interesting to see how South Africans 
kind of interpret this. And I think the global issues and the, and the positions and ideologies that political parties in South Africa are taking are going to be very important. As we've seen, for example, one of the biggest constituencies of the DA, which are, are, are Muslim and colored people, are coming out saying, we will not be voting for the DA because of its stance on, on, on Palestine, because of its support on Israel, which is against what we believe. And so that's what I'm talking about when I say we may well see an EFF coming out as, as number two because it is the next in line after the DA mm-hmm. if people start moving away from the DA because of its ideology. Uh, Ongama, do you believe that there they are organizations, at least um, you know, using the example that Asanda is making around the EFF, that have been able uh, to make headway in entrenching their ideas, in entrenching their views um, with society to the point that when she looks at the options, you know, there are two very clear options um, in, in her mind. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're looking at the political year that was 2023. Uh, Ongama, I I wanted to give you an opportunity. um, And and the question I asked was whether or not you had um, a sense that there are political organizations that have been able to entrench their ideas in our society to the extent that we could well see, um, you know, this mass increased mass support for them at least in the way that asanda is 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 is, is, is talking about it this morning sure okay maybe uh, if we look at the three major parties i think that uh, the anc is going to settle in the mid uh, 40s next year um and i determined that on two things one, the I took an average, I, I took all the polls that have come out uh, from uh, from uh, from 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 August 2021 until the latest one. I think it was around last 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 two weeks actually. Uh, so and, and then I averaged them out, and the ANC was was in, in the mid 40s. And then also what also supports. Uh, that estimates is the local government uh, election results in 21. If you look at the Democratic Alliance, I don't think we are going to see a drastic change in the share of support of the DA, nor are we going to see a, a, a sorry, so drastic change in positively or negatively for them. Uh, I think that they will be in the, if they do exceptionally well, they might be 24. If they do uh, exceptionally worst, they might be under 20, but I think that they are going to be uh, between 20 uh, to 22 percent. When it comes to the EFF, I think it's going to see some significant growth. I doubt that to the, it would be to the extent that it would displace the Democratic Alliance at the moment. There are two reasons for that. One, the, the EFF had the lion's share of voters that were disillusioned by the ANC for the longest time. Now, it started doing a tactical blunder, or uh, the reason why it was getting a lion's share is that it had it was offering radical politics mainly. And also in its fight against Jacob, uh, former President Jacob Zuma, it was seen to be fighting against both radical, presenting a radical alternative, while at the same time, uh, you know, criticizing the ANC for corruption. Uh, 
guess what did they do in recent years? They start courting the RT faction, which was being obliterated in the ANC. And I think that that's confusing uh, to a voter that was leaving the ANC for the EFF alternative, uh, either for its radical politics and its, its seemingly anti-corruption stance. Uh, or, uh, but if it starts taking away from the anti-corruption stance by pursuing a faction of the ANC uh, that is seen to be, uh, you know, uh, the anti-rule of law faction, I mean, that's, 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 that, that's taking away from the, the all voters that are disillusioned with the ANC. And now, I think what it, what it has done, it is, it's offering to the new centrist parties, the voter base that was choosing the EFF, both for its radical politics or its uh, rhetoric on, 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 on anti-corruption. So the anti-corruption rhetoric will be uh, alienated by an EFF that pursues an RET faction, while it, the, the, the people who care about radical politics only and not necessarily care about rule of law will still be in the EFF. So in my view, is that by doing this uh, tactical blunder, they have prevented themselves from becoming a, a, an inheritor of all the support that is disillusioned with the ANC. Sure. All right. Th- thanks for that, Ongama. Um, some views from Mahoka Moloto in Johannesburg, who says the historically materially free and fair elections, the EFF and the DA give me hope. The EFF's mobilization could gear well against the ANC mechanization. The DA is seemingly failing to dismantle in the metros. That's one view there. Churchill, you are in Mtata. Good morning. Good morning, Kate. How are you? Well, thank you, Churchill. I'm fine, Katie. Mm. Uh, in my view, uh, I'm seeing signs of a maturing democracy. Now, why do I say that? South Africans are generally very patient people. They've been very patient, especially with the ruling party. Obviously, because of our history, that uh, arguably the ANC liberator uh, and so on and so on. But when you put your ear on the ground, you find that the people now are starting to consider politicians and political parties as people that you should vote for in order to perform a particular function or render services. <laughs> and then if they don't do that, you, quote, uh, you put your vote somewhere. And also very concerning, there are still some South Africans who would say if uh, they are being disappointed by the ANC, they're not going to vote. And I think in the, on, on that front, uh, the opposition parties need to do the speed. We can go out and uh, educate people about what elections are about. But I'm seeing signs of a maturing democracy because that's what democracy should be all about. You know, you know this party, this party, uh, party loyalty, I think we should shift away from that. Consider politicians mm. as people that you vote for in order to perform, to perform a particular function. Ch- Churchill, do you think that South Africans have a clear idea of what an alternative to the ANC should be? <laughs> there are some who, who, do, who do have an alternative. Because some, for instance, when you look at parties like the DA, as well as uh, the EFF, some would look at the DA, and uh, there are signs of racism. But most importantly, what is it as a person that you're looking for? For instance, somebody would say, I'm basically looking for services. Well-run municipalities that are functional. That's what other people are looking for. So I would say it depends basically on what is it that you're looking for. Mm. But most importantly, people are starting to talk now to say, look, 
Let's look at our municipalities, how they are run. They are actually disappointed, especially those that are run by the ANC. Okay. All right, Churchill, thanks for the call. Churchill out in Mtata. And the reason I ask this question around, you know, what the, the alternative is, what are the alternatives? It's not due to lack of options, right? Because we've got a lot of political parties in the country. But it's a question that often comes up, even on this platform. Those who say they're not going to vote. The first question they ask is, Kathy, who must I vote for? And you say, well, you've got so many options, but they feel that those options that are available simply do not resonate with them. And that's something that I would like Asanda and Ongama to also um, reflect on as we continue with our conversation. Michaels, you're out in Kabeha. Good morning. Morning, Kitty. How are you? Well, thank you. Um, Quick one. Mm. Can you name one African country where voting has elevated the masses out of poverty, one, in Africa, where voting has elevated the masses out of poverty, where we can say, okay, these are the numbers that have been elevated out of poverty, like one country in Africa. You see, the reason why I'm making this statement is this. The whole point of uh, what we call democracy, this, this voting thing, right? What exactly are we voting for? What, 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 what are we, if, if you bring it in the South African context, what are we voting for? So we say, okay, we, we are going to remove the ANC and then vote for a party, but what are we voting for? Is it for a, a, a elimination of poverty, um, land distribution, or we're just voting because we, let's go and vote. Let's get the ANC out. Let's go and vote. Yeah, Michael's such an important issue that you're raising. And um, I, I often look at the South African election and versus, let's say, the American elections, right? American elections are very clearly issue-driven elections. You can see it throughout the campaigning of those candidates that there are specific issues that voters will absolutely not give you your vote if you hold certain views and ideas on that issue. In South Africa, I don't know that that is the case. Just take, for example, the multi-party coalition. Look at the various ideologies that all of those parties embrace. Um, Asanda sort of ran through just some of them earlier, the organizations and, you know, the the conservatives and sometimes, uh, you know, very extreme view that they hold on certain issues. Um, and, And you ask yourself, well, yes, we hear the argument of voting out the, the ANC, but what do these parties actually stand for collectively from an issue a point of view that speaks to your question, Michaels? Exactly. You're, you're right on, on, on point on what I'm trying to say. If we take this moonshot, this moonshot, they're against expropriation of land without compensation. They're, they're against a nationalization of the Reserve Bank which the Reserve Bank is an instrument that China has used to elevate people out of poverty. So when you say, oh, let, let, let's vote the ANC out and, and let's vote somebody, what are you exactly voting for? 
that's the question that people must ask themselves. What are we voting for? Okay. All right. All right, Michaels. Uh, very good question that uh, you, you're raising there. Uh, uh, Asante, let me come to you and perhaps give you an opportunity to uh, respond to the issues raised by our, our callers. Well, this is, I mean, the first keep wanting to kind of have certainty or surety that change means removing the ANC when we have Asanda, we're going to have to call you back. That connection to you isn't very stable. While we get Asanda back on the line, let me get uh, Ongama to weigh in on some of the reflections of our callers. Ongama? Hi, uh, again, Cathy. So, it's interesting, in their work on why nations fail, uh, Darren Asimoglu and Robinson uh, state, state that um, the, the, but the reflections throughout history show that countries that are relatively free make it easy for businesses to thrive and as a result of that for people to be lifted out of poverty. And I think the examples of the Koreas are cited by them, where North and South are cited, and the difference is there being how free a society is. We also know that uh, what has driven uh, developmental states generally across the, in the 1950s were countries that um, had bold leadership and the state played a role in the economy in what got to be known as developmental states. So I think that it's not just voting itself that creates the conditions for success. It's voting, but also a capable state that is able to lead uh, and ensure that the economy is thriving. The apartheid government in the 50s and 60s did this. That's why there's a a, a paradox where it's where you, you have that decade called the golden age of apartheid. Not golden because the politically the country was sad, but because economically South Africa was growing in 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 in, in, in the rates of six to seven percent, and part of that was huge state intervention. So, but also we need to be uh, 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 frank about our assessment of the democratic period. We may have on aggregate. Uh, poverty still deep and, and unemployment still at crisis levels. But Cathy, uh, the lives of black people have changed significantly under a democratic government. If you look at, for example, access to services, there's a huge, uh, I mean, in the, in the late 2000s, we already had impressive numbers of access to municipal services throughout the country. The only thing is that the shift began to be about the quality of the, those services. Where in the 90s, uh, there was a huge focus on, uh, you know, the lack of those services. And, and so access was created. And, 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 and there's a lot of other things. I mean, if you look at education of uh, the transformation of education, the transformation of the civil service, um, there's a lot that we've put in place that actually creates the conditions for success going forward in the country. All right, Ongama Mdimga, thanks for being part of this uh, conversation. Asanda, let me give you a chance to weigh in before we wrap it up. Uh, hi, can you hear me now, Kathy? Yes, yes, we can. 
Okay, so I think, you know, I, I agree, um, you know, with, with what Hongama said, and I wanted to expand on the fact that, you know, one of the callers, I think, touched on this. We must understand that there are two critical things about how South Africans vote. So we know that over the past, you know, 20, 10 years even, people have actually voted in protest. So we have what's called the protest vote, where people vote for the DA, for the EFF, for any other party but the ANC. But there are still internally ANC people ready to move back to the ANC at any point. And then you also have those people who are just so apathetic that they decide there's no point in voting, who then essentially become default ANC voters because whoever doesn't vote essentially gives the vote to whoever the incumbent or whoever gets the majority. And I think that, you know, what we're likely to see, which is why I was talking about this Moon Pact and what they stand for, what we may begin to see is a protest vote against the DA given to the ANC in the same way that the DA has for the past 10 years and more benefited from a protest vote against the ANC. We may see a reversal of that now with people protesting against the DA and voting for the ANC. And we may also see people protesting against the ANC and voting for other political parties. And so smaller parties are likely to win this. But as has been said, one of the biggest issues in South Africa remains, you remove the ANC and you put what in place and what is the vision and ideology of those that you are going to replace the ANC with. And that's what keeps the ANC winning, despite its corruption and despite its many, 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 many problems that South Africans complain about every single day. The other political parties have failed. The opposition parties of South Africa have failed to deliver a convincing alternative country. And one, until they get that right, we are going to continue to see the ANC win even when it actually shouldn't win. And you're going to continue to see the ANC being rewarded when it should be punished. Because when people look, what they see is this political party is, 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 is corrupt, is a problem in various ways. But when I think about what is it that they can deliver, I'm very clear when they do deliver and they're not being corrupt. What then, in, in, in that kind of scenario, Sundays, if you described it, become the fortunes of, let's say, a multi-party charter, very briefly for me? I think that, you know, as I said, South Africa is a very diverse country, and the idea of us having one or two political parties in perpetuity was never going to be something that was going to stick. And so some of the electoral changes that have been made are good because they further give people the opportunity to understand that this country may well be a country that needs a multi-party or coalition government more than necessarily one party. The problem is what we've seen so far in terms of municipalities when it comes to coalition governments has really been depressing, but that doesn't mean that coalition uh, governments cannot work in South Africa. It just means they haven't worked so far because the politicians are not willing to put aside their egos and prioritize South Africans. All right. We'll leave it there for this morning. Asanda Ngwasheng, diversity expert, academic and political analyst, and Dr. Ongamam Dimka, he's a political analyst and um, lecturer at the Nelson Mandela University. It's 11 o'clock.